0: somewhat like the sermon has already been preached this morning in the worship time we had. Thank you very much, Brother Gary. You may be surprised to see me up here this morning. Uh, We thought we would give our brother Brett a week off. He was preparing for his comp this week at seminary, which he passed, by the way. Congratulations. And uh, so we thought we would give him a week off to prepare for that. Uh, Perhaps the most familiar verse in the Bible is John 3.16. Many people who are not even Christians could quote that verse to us if we asked. But perhaps the chapter that's the most familiar from the Bible is the 23rd Psalm. Many people could quote it as well. It seems like almost every funeral I attend, they give you that little handout, and it has Psalm 23 printed on it. Very, very common. It's a much-loved psalm. Uh, Spurgeon called it the pearl of the psalms. I'd like to focus on that psalm a little bit this morning. So would you stand with me? And uh, many of you probably know this psalm by heart. If the Lord is your shepherd this morning, would you read this psalm with me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You may be seated. Amen. Thank you very much. Last week, uh, Brett told us about Jesus healing the official's son from the distance, if you remember. And Brett reminded us that Jesus is the ultimate gift in that story. We could say that here Jesus is the ultimate gift in this chapter. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate gift of every story, is he not? The focus of this great psalm is on the shepherd. Psalm 23 is a a song from David, the warrior king, and the great psalmist that we know of. But before he was a king, David was a shepherd boy. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, Perhaps he wrote it when he was a boy sitting on a hillside overlooking his flock and thinking about how God took care of him as he took care of that flock. Perhaps he wrote it later when he was in trouble, maybe even running for his life. Or maybe he wrote it when he was an old man and he was looking back on his life and thinking about how his shepherd had cared for him for his entire life. Whatever's the case he was thinking about God. And why was why was David doing that? Because David was a man after God's own heart. So he thought about God. That might be kind of a measure of spirituality. How often we think about God. Do your thoughts turn often to God during the day? When you have a spare minute, do your, does your mind turn to other things or does it turn to God? Does see, occupy your thoughts. Can, do you maintain an attitude of prayer so that you can slip easily into prayer when you have a spare minute during the day? Do you recognize during those times how God, your shepherd, is caring for you? Maybe that your house is still standing from Wednesday night. We take things like that for granted, don't we? But our great God cares for us. Apparently, uh, David thought about God caring for him. David had been a shepherd, and he remembered the care that, that he took for his shepherd and the, uh, what he provided for his flocks. Those were his responsibility. He had to take care of those sheep, and he was their shepherd. He, he knew something about shepherding. He understood shepherding. But he also knew something about himself. And he knew that in the, in the big scheme of things, he wasn't really a shepherd. He was a sheep. So it was natural for David to say, the Lord is my shepherd. We'd probably classify that as humility if we had to put a a name on it. He acknowledged that he needed a shepherd because he acknowledged that he was a sheep. That speaks volumes about the heart of David, does it not? He's acknowledging that he's a sheep. And that's humbling for David to say because he knew sheep. You know, I grew up in Arkansas, and our mascot is a razorback hog, and uh, wild hogs are ferocious, they're mean, they're ill-tempered, they're to be feared, and those are the kinds of animals that teams select when they want a mascot. Uh, You hear about bears and lions and timber wolves and rams and so forth. You ever heard of a team called the sheep? No. You'll probably never hear of that. Why is that? Because sheep are not ferocious. They're not mean. They're not ill-tempered. And they're sure not to be feared. Instead, they're weak. They're defenseless. They're foolish. They're dependent. They're wanderers. They need a shepherd. They need somebody to look out for them every day. They need Provision. They need protection. They need preservation. They just can't do much for themselves. So they need care. David recognized he needed care. He needed a shepherd because he was a sheep. And he recognized that God took care of him like he took care of his sheep. So he says in this psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. might seem a little unusual for us to put Lord and shepherd in the same sentence. After all, uh, shepherds were considered pretty lowly folks. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Parents didn't aspire for their children to be shepherds. Sheep are pitiful creatures, and nobody particularly cared to be around those. It was an important job to take care of the sheep, but it wasn't a very admirable job. But somebody had to do it, so you assign the person who's the youngest in the family or the lowliest or a servant. You don't assign that to the older boys, the wiser boys, the better boys. It's a lowly position. So, is calling God a shepherd an insult to him? Does that bother God if we call him a shepherd? Is that blasphemy to make God a shepherd? No. We just got through reading that Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. Jesus claimed to be a shepherd. He's the shepherd who said, I laid down my life for the sheep. And he did exactly that. It took laying down his life for his sheep in order to redeem us sheep. And he was willing to do that for sheep. God is the shepherd of all those who are truly his sheep. And who are his sheep? It's those who, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have come to know Christ himself in the forgiveness of their sins. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's not the case with all men, unfortunately. You remember one time when Jesus was surrounded by the Jews, he said, you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus acknowledged that he was a shepherd. What condescension is that? We talk so many in so many ways about how God condescended to come and meet us. Becoming a shepherd certainly is that. For the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am, to become a lowly shepherd. We have no right to call him a shepherd unless we're willing to acknowledge that we are sheep. When God brought us to himself, he showed us ourselves. He showed us what we were really like. What are we really like? Well, we're like the sheep that I described a minute ago, weak, defenseless, needing care, dependent, wandering, needing a shepherd. What what a blow to pride that is, to admit that we are sheep and we need a shepherd. Sometimes we get accused of being proud Calvinists I don't know what a proud Calvinist is that's an oxymoron those terms don't even go together how can you fully acknowledge that you're a a sheep and be proud just doesn't fit sheep are not fearsome wild animals with a strong will mind of their own independent nope they're an object of property Bought with a price, not their own, needing a shepherd. And that's exactly what we are. We are God's property. Bought with a price. The price of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paid for with his own blood. And we are not our own. And we greatly need a shepherd. So David had the proper picture of himself in saying he was a shepherd. So he says at the beginning of this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I'd like to kind of focus for just a couple of minutes on each word in that sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Kids, you might notice that that word, if you look in your Bible, that word is in all capital letters. L-O-R-D, all capitals. That means that that word is a translation of the great word for God, Jehovah, or Yahweh, the great I Am. That's who David is saying is his shepherd. That was a name that was so high and so holy that they, they wouldn't even pronounce that name, a majestic name. And yet David says... That's who my shepherd is Yahweh Jehovah himself is my shepherd, not Buddha, not Joseph Smith, not David Koresh. Those are false shepherds and cults that follow false shepherds get led astray. Those are the men that John calls in his gospel hirelings or strangers and true sheep don't follow those people. Neither is our shepherd John Calvin or Martin Luther or Charles Spurgeon. Those aren't what we would call false shepherds, certainly, but they're not like the great shepherd. They're sheep like we are, and sheep don't look to other sheep to shepherd them. Neither is our shepherd men like MacArthur or Sproul or Piper. We... We admire those men, but none of them is your shepherd. Neither are your elders your shepherd or your care group leaders. Because all those men make mistakes. All those men sin. All those men are sheep. They all need shepherds. The Lord, the true shepherd, doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't sin. He never sinned. He is the good shepherd. He is the perfect shepherd without sin, perfectly able to care for his people in whatever way they need to be cared for. He's strong when we're weak. He protects us when we're in danger. He's close when we're lonely. He provides for us when we're in need. He knows the answer to our problems. He is the answer to our problems. And most importantly, He saves us from our sin. So we would agree with David that the Lord is our shepherd. Next word is is. The Lord is my shepherd. Present tense. He is my shepherd. Today, whatever is going on in my life, despite my feelings, despite my circumstances, despite my testing and my trials, despite all appearances to the contrary, despite that I don't see it in joy, in pain, in sickness, in sorrow, in loss, even in death, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd when I can't find a job. He's my shepherd when my marriage is struggling. He is my shepherd when the doctor tells me that I have cancer or some member of my family has cancer. He is my shepherd when I'm just overwhelmed with life. He will shepherd me through whatever situation or difficult time I'm in because he cares for his sheep. It's present tense. It's not past tense. He was my shepherd until I sinned. He was my shepherd until I wandered away. No, he didn't leave me when I sinned. He didn't leave me when I got in trouble. He didn't leave me though though I've strayed away. No, Peter tells me that I am kept by the power of God, not by mine. I am kept by the power of God, my shepherd, through faith. And he promised he will never leave me. He is with me no matter my condition, no matter my circumstances. He is my shepherd. Next word is my. The Lord is my shepherd. Why is he my shepherd? Because I am his shepherd. Sheep, I belong to him. I'm not a goat. The Bible talks about sheep and goats, remember? Matthew 25, Jesus says in the final judgment that he will separate the sheep from the goats and the sheep will receive the kingdom that he has prepared for them. But the goats will go away into eternal punishment. We are sheep, beloved. He is my shepherd because I'm his sheep. How'd you get to be a sheep? didn't have anything to do with you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He bought you with a price, and you are not your own. He drew you to himself. Otherwise, you couldn't and wouldn't have come to him. He, he birthed you from death to life. And then he adopted you into his fold. And he sealed you forever with his Holy Spirit. So you belong to him completely. And just as David was responsible for his sheep, your shepherd is responsible to take care of you. And he is the perfect shepherd who will do exactly that. So you can say, The Lord is my shepherd because I'm one of his sheep, because he has made me one of his sheep. Hallelujah. And the fourth word is shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just an acquaintance, he's not even just a friend. Although he is that, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But he is truly a shepherd with all the care and the concern that that phrase means. And being a shepherd is no easy task. Sheep are prone to wander. A shepherd will have to go find them and bring them back. A sheep is not aware of danger. A shepherd will have to watch out for that danger and protect them. Sheep are defenseless against whatever predator there might be. A shepherd will have to defend those sheep against the predators who would attack them. And they need provision. They can't even provide for themselves. So a shepherd will have to find pasture and find water and find a place of rest. The shepherd does all those things for the sheep. He knows their condition, he knows what they need, and he keeps up with them very closely. How closely? Your shepherd knows when a hair falls from your head. Does he keep up with you? You bet he does. Because the shepherd provides so well for us, David can say, I shall not want. He shall not want for anything because he won't lack anything. James Boyce says, left to themselves, sheep lack everything. They can't do anything for themselves. But David says he shall not want or he shall not lack any need because the shepherd will provide it. The shepherd doesn't leave the sheep to himself. He provides whatever the sheep needs. The Apostle Paul learned that very well. He knew the Lord Jesus Christ as his shepherd too. And so Paul is able to say of the shepherd, he is able to make all grace abound so that we have all sufficiency in all things. Paul can say, even in prison, I have all. And abound. I am full. From prison, he said that. Paul was not in want. How do we reconcile being in prison and not being in want? In fact, what we see from Paul is is joy, it's a positive attitude, it's encouragement. How could Paul say, I am full? and I abound, I'm not in want. Because Paul also said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to get along with prosperity. You know why that was? It was only, only, because Paul walked with his shepherd. He followed his shepherd that's the same way david talked about his great shepherd david says the shepherd makes him lie down in green pasture paul was in prison but he was lying down in green pasture because he had confidence in his shepherd and he was following his shepherd he was satisfied with his shepherd so he could say i'm full and i'm bound he counted everything rubbish compared with knowing that shepherd. He knew Jesus cares for lilies, he cares for sparrows, and he cares for sheep. Paul learned contentment, even in prison, because he was in the green pasture of his shepherd. He was at peace with and trusting in his shepherd. Philip Keller, who was a shepherd himself for a number of years, has written a book about sheep, and he says that when when sheep are frustrated or restless or hungry, you can't make them lie down. But full, contented sheep will lie down very easily. Sometimes we are frustrated... Sometimes we are restless, hungry sheep, are we not? Sometimes we are not content with our pasture. You ever find yourself there? We're looking for a different pasture. We're looking for more fulfillment or a better situation, something something else to satisfy our hunger than the pasture we are in. We want different circumstances. Sometimes we, uh, we fail to see that our great shepherd really is caring for us and the pasture is greener than we think, like our house still being standing since Wednesday night. That's the care of our great shepherd. If it had blown away, by the way, he would still be your shepherd. If your house was leveled, he would still be taking care of you. He would still be walking with you and shepherding you despite the circumstance. David says the shepherd leads him beside still water. I've I've read that sheep don't like to drink from turbulent water or fast-flowing water. They like to drink from quiet, still water. That's the kind of water that the good shepherd provides, David says, the water the sheep really need. It's kind of like the living water that Brett talked about in John 4 a few weeks ago with the woman at the well. The water that the shepherd provides is the everlasting water, the living water that we truly need. Sometimes we try to eat from other pastures and drink from other water, but it does not satisfy our deepest cravings, does it? Our desire for the contentment that David learned and that Paul learned is fulfilled in following the shepherd. The shepherd knows what's best for us, and he provides it. When we walk following the shepherd, he leads us to good pasture, sometimes in his word. He leads us to still water by his spirit so that the walk is peaceful. The circumstances might be ugly, like Paul in prison, but the walk is peaceful. Contentment can be learned. Paul said he learned it. We can learn it, beloved. But when we wander from the shepherd and we neglect the pasture and the water that he provides and try it on our own, the walk is turbulent and it leaves us still hungry and still thirsty and unsatisfied, frustrated, Have you had that experience? Maybe you're there now. Maybe you know that feeling this morning. Have you wandered from your shepherd? Is your spirituality at a a low place? You feel like you're low on grace? Maybe your Christian life is not going anywhere and you're in a rut. You're bogged down. Maybe it seems that uh, life just overwhelms you at times. You seem to have no real victory as a believer. What do we need in those times? David says we need our souls restored. And he says the shepherd restores our souls. Whether there is rebellious sin, whether there is neglect, Of following the shepherd, whether there is indulgence in other things, we need our souls restored. And what does David say about the good shepherd? He restores my soul. We might be like Peter after Peter denied his Lord. You remember that? He took his eyes off the shepherd and what the shepherd had provided for him and how the shepherd had walked with him and what he could provide for him. And he put his eyes on his situation and the danger that surrounded him and what might happen and the cost it might be to him and he decided that he would wander away from his shepherd. What did Peter need? He needed his soul restored. What is restoration? We talk about restoring a piece of furniture or restoring a house or a building. What we mean is it's a renewing. It's a returning or a bringing back to the original state with its original beauty and its intended usefulness. That's what has to happen when we wander away from the shepherd. We have to have our souls restored. We have to be brought back to where we were when we followed the shepherd. We have to have our souls restored, and it's the good shepherd who does that for us. You know, sometimes sheep can wander away from the shepherd even when they're eating good grass and even when they're drinking from still water. We can do that. We can go to seminars. We can sit and study our Bible. We can participate in Christian fellowship, be involved in ministry and just kind of bask In the enjoyment of it all. But have we forgotten that the primary purpose of a sheep, I guess really the only purpose of a sheep, is for the benefit of the shepherd? The sheep exists for the benefit of the shepherd, whether it's his wool or whether it's his meat. He is for the shepherd. His path and his very life is for the shepherd. So that's why David says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Not for me, but for Him, for the shepherd. He leads me in those green pastures and He leads me beside those still waters and he leads me in those paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It honors him. It glorifies him. And it's good for me, too. The sheep were created for the benefit of the shepherd. It's all for the shepherd. We were made for the glory of our shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says to us in Corinthians, so whether you eat, Maybe from green pastures, or drink, maybe from still water, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God because it's all for the shepherd. We may see ourselves doing that when we are going to those studies and attending those seminars and fellowshipping with the saints, and all those are good things. We can get very engrossed in good service, in ministry. In church work, sometimes we can do that even to the point of burnout. But even if there isn't burnout, perhaps in doing all those things, we can lose focus on the shepherd. God forbid that we become more concerned about the church and church work and seminars and ministry rather than the shepherd. We can get very concerned with producing and making sure everything is right and going good. You know, that's the very thing that Jesus criticized the Ephesian church for in Revelation 2. Remember that? They were producing. They had works. They had labor. They had ministry. They had patience and perseverance. But they had left their first love. What's the first love? The shepherd. They had forgotten about the shepherd in doing all their good stuff. Folks, sheep don't worry about producing. If they just stay very close to the shepherd and follow the shepherd, He will lead them to the green pasture so that they can be nourished. He will lead them beside the still water. He will lead them in paths of righteousness. And then the fruit, in their case, the wool and the meat, will be produced because they are following the shepherd. And the shepherd is able to produce that for them. But if the eye is taken off the shepherd, then the wandering begins. Whether that wandering is from sin or neglect or indifference or very busy work, we need to have our souls restored. Fortunately, even though we might take our eyes off the shepherd, the good shepherd never, never takes his eyes off us. He is the good shepherd. He calls us back. He seeks us out wherever we are. He finds us. He brings us back, and he restores our souls. How does he do that? He does it by his amazing grace. If it's wandering in sin, he restores us by a conviction of that sin. He calls us back by his spirit. Listen to what he says to Israel in Jeremiah 3. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Return, faithless Israel, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. That's a shepherd speaking to wandering sheep. He does not look on us in anger. He is merciful. If we wander, the same hand that first rescued us will rescue us again, and he will restore our soul. What should be the response of a sheep that the shepherd is calling back? To run back to him. Do we come running back every time we hear the call of the shepherd? Despite the call of the world, or despite the call of our own flesh, or the game, or the computer? Do we come running back to the shepherd when we hear that call? Do we recognize that only the shepherd can restore our soul? It's only in staying close to the shepherd that we can get back to the green pasture and the still water and the paths of righteousness. Sometimes we don't see it. And the shepherd has to give us a little nudge. He often had to do that for Israel in terms of battles lost, lack of water, famine, sickness, plague, whatever it took to bring those sheep back, the shepherd was willing to do. He seeks out those wandering sheep, and he goes after them. I've read that sometimes a shepherd would actually break the leg of a wandering sheep, and then carry it until the leg healed so that that sheep would learn not to wander, to teach it to stay close. I actually had a friend a few years ago who was an athlete, and he felt God was calling him to the ministry, but he wanted to be an athlete. And so he he set God aside, and he pursued his athletic career and ignored ministry. One day he was involved in a terrible car accident with major injuries and he could never run again. His athletic career was over. He will tell you today that the good shepherd broke his leg so that he might carry him and teach him to follow the shepherd. He came here to Southwestern to seminary To follow his good shepherd. But it took that lesson for him to learn. Sometimes the good shepherd has to do that for us. We're told in Hebrews 12 that sometimes he chastens us. And we are told not to despise that chastening. When the Lord brings that on us, when the good shepherd has to bring you through a period of chastening because you've wandered away. Don't despise that. Welcome that. Because your good shepherd is bringing you back. He is restoring your soul. Does he do that in anger at the sheep? No. It's part of protecting the sheep. It's part of teaching the sheep. It's removing that independent spirit. It's removing that attitude of, I know what's best for me in my life. It's the the grace part of the sanctification process, that humbling process of removing the, the I, the me. So Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you cast all your care on him because he cares for you why does he he's the good shepherd he will care for you and meet your needs we have to acknowledge beloved that we are wandering sheep and come to him in confession Whenever we wander anywhere outside those green pastures and still waters. And when we confess, what does the good shepherd do? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will restore your soul. Then he will lead you in that path of righteousness. Why does he do that? Because he is righteous. He is the good shepherd who leads his sheep in those paths for his name's sake. Our sanctification process leading in the paths of righteousness is not just for our benefit. It is glorifying to the shepherd. It's honoring to the shepherd. Everything about the sheep is really for the shepherd. We are led in the paths of righteousness to bring honor and glory to our great shepherd. Suppose the path To the green pastures is narrow and it's dark it's rocky it's difficult and it's dangerous is the sheep who's really trusting in the shepherd fearful? apparently not David says even though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death he will not fear evil notice that he's walking in the valley and not running when I was a little boy I had a best friend who lived about a quarter of a mile away from me. Our houses were on hills, and there was a valley that went between our houses. I would go and visit my my buddy, and sometimes I would stay too late not realizing it, and it would get dark. At the bottom of that valley, uh, there was a man who kept a big mule there. And the mule was always supposed to be pinned up, but sometimes he would get out. I was terrified of that mule. When I started walking home, I had to go down in that valley and right past that place, right past that stable. And I would walk slowly, and I would watch for that mule. And when I got close to the stable, you know what happened, don't you? (laughs) As fast as my little legs would carry me, I would run by that stable up the other side of the valley to my house all the time listening and watching for that big mule my heart would be pounding with fear David says he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with no fear he fears no evil why? because as a sheep he could walk through a hard time and not fear because his shepherd was with him he says, for he is with me. I don't fear evil because you're with me. The good shepherd has been through that valley before. The good shepherd not only went through the valley of the shadow of death, the good shepherd himself went through death. Remember, he said, I laid down my life for my sheep. David's shepherd shepherd is beside him there in that valley there to protect him and his shepherd being with him meant david didn't have to run through that valley he could walk peacefully sometimes my dad would go with me to see my friend and my dad would visit with my friend's dad and when we walked home we walked through the valley i went right by that stable i went right by that big mule and I had no fear because my dad was right there. He was right beside me. So there was no fear walking through the same valley. That's what David's talking about. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death with no fear because his shepherd is with him. A sheep doesn't need to run out of fear when the shepherd is with him. Walking rather than running implies trust and confidence, not in ourselves, but in our great shepherd. May God teach us to walk confidently, confidently through every circumstance, through chronic illness, through job loss, through family problems, through financial challenges, marriage differences, whatever it is, whatever valley we go through, May he teach us to walk confidently knowing our shepherd is right there. He is with us. There doesn't need to be fear. He uses circumstances in our lives to mold us into the image of Christ. And hard times in the valley are usually just the way to the green pastures and the still water. That's why James says... Count it all joy, brethren, when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, endurance. You are with your shepherd. Perseverance. Even though death might some, it might be so close that we might see its shadow. The, David says it's not the valley of death, it's the valley of the shadow of death. A shadow just points to something of substance. But in our case, that substance of death has been removed because the shepherd has been through there. He bore the wrath of God for his sheep. And so there is no wrath to come. Now there's only death's shadow. We don't have to be afraid of a shadow. Even facing death, there's no sting there for a sheep because he knows the shepherd. Why could David not be afraid? He's walking with the shepherd. There's no fear of judgment for a sheep. John says in his first letter that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. There's no judgment for us. There is mercy. There is grace. There is love. Perfect love casts out what? Fear. No fear of judgment for a sheep. No fear of condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we're his sheep. There's no fear of being defenseless. A sheep is not defenseless when the shepherd is there because the shepherd has a rod and a staff. What are those? Those are symbols of power, the limitless power of the good shepherd. And that's a great comfort for us as it was for David because the great shepherd says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. David says he prepares a a table for me in the presence of my enemies. David kind of shifts the metaphor here to the image of a meal, perhaps a, a banquet. He says his head is anointed with oil and uh, his cup is running over. That's the way they welcome guests in those days, anointing them with oil, and overflowing their cup so they'd know that they would want for nothing. All those things are symbolic of the hospitality and the care that the shepherd provides for us. David says he's treated like a special guest here in the shepherd's house. There is abundant blessing in knowing the shepherd. And he says, I have assurance that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The promise is for us the same, beloved, if we know the good shepherd. We will live in his house forever, an eternal home. So let me close here. I just want to sum this up uh, briefly. Our, Our good shepherd meets every need so that we lack nothing. We are not in want. We don't lack rest and nourishment because the shepherd makes us lie down in green pasture. Jesus said, Come, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. Feed and drink from me, and you'll never hunger and thirst again. He provides that. We don't lack peace because the shepherd makes us walk in still water. Remember what Jesus said to us? My peace I give you. He gave us his peace so we don't have to let our hearts be troubled or be afraid. We don't lack encouragement because he restores our souls. He grants us repentance and recovery and restoration just as he did for Peter and Peter's denial. We don't lack direction because he guides us in the paths of righteousness. Psalm 31 says, Jehovah will lead and guide us For his name's sake. We don't lack safety because the shepherd is with us. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We don't lack provision because he prepares a table for us. He anoints us with oil and our cup overflows. Psalm 111 says he provides food to those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And we don't lack a heavenly home. So... How did David learn to depend on the shepherd, and did he depend on the shepherd? I don't know when he wrote this, maybe early in life, but it reminds me of a story. You remember back in 1 Samuel when David um, would, was running from Saul? Saul had been trying to kill David, and David thought he, he might kill him, so it would be best for him to leave. So he went to the land of the Philistines, to the enemies. And he went, uh, he went there with his 600 men and all their families. And he went to Achish, king of Gath. And he asked him for a city. So Achish gave him Ziklag. And so David and all his families and his 600 men went to live in Ziklag. And they lived with the Philistines for 16 months. And David would make raids, you remember? Uh, Achish thinking he was making raids... Or his enemies, but in reality, he was raiding the, situ- the towns right around him. And as he raided those towns, he would kill every man and woman and bring home the spoils. And so there was no witness to tell that he was really killing people in Philistine territory. So Achis trusted David and decided that David had made himself a stench to the people of Israel and he would always serve him. Well, the Philistines gathered their forces, you remember, to go to battle. And uh, Achish asked David to go with them. And so they all showed up. And the other commanders looked at and said, what is this guy doing here? This is the guy. This is David. This is the guy of whom, they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. He is not going with us to battle. He's likely to turn on us and he's likely to uh, attack us. You send him home. So Achish told David, I'm sorry, they don't trust you, go home. He went home to Ziklag, and you remember what had happened. The Amalekites had raided Ziklag, and they had burned the town, and they had taken captive all of the wives of all the men. And the 600 men of David were ready to stone him. Here David's been rejected by the Philistines. He goes back home, and he's rejected by his own men. They're ready to kill him. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death again. And the next verse says, And David strengthened himself in the Lord. How did David know to strengthen himself in the Lord? Because the Lord was his shepherd. He had walked with the Lord. He knew where to go in the valley of the shadow of death. You can strengthen yourself in the Lord, beloved. I've got to close here. Seminary folks probably tell me I need to have three points to make a good sermon. I don't have three points. I just got one point. Here's the point. Get this point. Trust your good shepherd. Walk with your good shepherd. Follow your good shepherd. Don't wander away. He will care for you. Build your relationship every day with your good shepherd so that when you walk through the valley, you can walk, not run, with your shepherd right beside you. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you transform our wandering hearts and bring them into absolute obedience to our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.